While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Salt anybody on this earth unless they're a listener, in which case, hey guys, <laughs> how are you? <laughs> I am good. Welcome to Overdue. This is a <laughs> podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. Uh, we hope we haven't upset you yet. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And uh, yeah, that's we're a little punchy this week. A little punchy. A little punchy. Um, we we both have had long weekends. Uh, Not like long weekends oh, in the yeah. sense that it was like a three or a four day weekend but like long weekends. <laughs> yeah like weekends full of stuff or, or weekends full of travel yes. Not a lot of time to relax or both yeah 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 i went so to the, i went on a vacation and i think i relaxed for like three hours of the whole of the whole time yeah i wasn't like anxious the rest of the time <laughs> <laughs> just on edge yeah no there was like three hours where i was at a beach uh and other than that i was all i was going i was driving a car i was talking to people i was eating food it was busy busy time i like the eating food is not relaxing for you well it depends if it's gotta eat this food man wait wait can't talk (laughs) i'm eating this food can you just can you just give me a second i've got i gotta eat this Sketty. I've got to be somewhere else to eat something in like five minutes. We gotta <laughs> move this forward. Uh, no, it was just like I I either was eating food quickly because I had other stuff to do, or it was food that required my full attention because it was so good. Oh, okay. Yeah, that sounds real rough, man. I <laughs> I had a terrible time eating great food. <laughs> Let me complain about my life some more. I'm really sorry you were eating great, awesome food while I was writing about stupid watches all weekend. <laughs> oh, man. So you have a bunch of sweet new watches? No, I don't. I have some watches. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I don't I don't need to bring my I don't need to bring my tech garbage into this podcast. This is a safe space. It's a safe space to talk about where books. Every, yeah, where every week one of us reads a book that we haven't read and then we describe it to the rest of you. So Craig, because of your road trip, I guess you didn't really read a book you hadn't read before, but so just tell everybody what you're doing. What are you doing? I'm talking to you. I'm not like right now, but like with respect to the book that you did. Yeah, no, I listened to the audiobook version, the Emmy, no, not Emmy, not Grammy nominated. <laughs> wow. Grammy nominated. So good they gave it an Emmy anyway. <laughs> they were just like, oh, she already has one. Let's give her another one. Uh, the Grammy nominated audiobook. Uh, Bossy Pants by Tina Fey, uh, woman about town and television. And when you, when you told me you were reading Bossy Pants, I was like, Craig, I don't know if that's going to work because there are a lot of things about it that are, that we have like not done before. Like it's a, it's kind of a, it, I mean, it's a memoir, definitely a memoir. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of the other objections I had. Like I just, I, <laughs> I wanted I was worried that a conversation about it would just be like us saying, 
Oh, I thought this part was funny. I thought it was really funny when she was talking about 30 Rock. Well, we might do that, but that's not the whole reason <laughs> to talk about the book. Why did you why did you pick this one? I well, mean, aside from it being an audiobook and you being on a road trip, like So that up? was our, that was one of the primary reasons, let's be honest. Um I was going to be in the car. I ended up doing about 80% of the driving. I like doing the driving, um, but I ended up doing probably a little more of it than I'd planned. So I needed to get this book in while I was driving, and this was perfect. Um, I was interested in an audiobook where the author, the author's voice felt important, um, and Tina Fey read the book herself, or I'd performed is probably a better word um because there's plenty of scene there's plenty of stories in the book that have dialogue kind of you know i'm sure they're written on the page as as a normal sure. book but it it is kind of a scene that she sets right between characters and it's i found it very interesting to have her kind of going back and forth doing sometimes doing voices sometimes yeah, just kind I was, of I was doing terrible voices that was like the one question i had was <laughs> did she do voices not really mostly just kind of no, she didn't even really do accents. It was mostly just changing her voice up and down for male or female or like characters or making Changing characters. the rate that at which she was speaking or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not like impressions. No. I mean Not Robin Williams, but she does she did do a couple pretty good impressions of people from Thirty Rock. When we get we'll get to Thirty Rock, her her Emmy winning uh Grammy winning <laughs> television show. Uh, no, not Grammys. I know. I thought was uh, <laughs> her was like, Tony, her Tony winning TV show, Thirty Rock. She did a couple good impressions from Thirty Rock, and then of course there's a whole chapter about her Sarah Palin impression, which we'll talk about later. Uh, but I felt like it was important to listen to an audiobook that the author read. I, I wanted an interesting narrator, whether it be like a a book with someone kind of famous or or an actor reading it. I'm sure going back would it would be worth just seeing who are like Joe audiobook narrator. What do they like? What do they do? Um, Cause that would be a, a wholly different experience, you know? Sure. Um, and then the other reason that just bossy pants in general is a book that when it came out, it felt like everyone I knew was reading it. And then I just somehow missed it. I just didn't get around to it. I know um, I read it when it came out, which was in 2011, 2011, recently. Uh, which is when the audiobook came out. Not not long after, actually, uh, which is, I think, at that point, 30 Rock was maybe in its fourth or fifth season, if I, if I recall correctly. Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. It was kind of cresting and uh, beginning its final turn, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm sure the the writing process of that was preceded by a good 18 or 12 months. So that material is fresh in her mind. Um, while listening to it now, it kind of felt like a bit of a time capsule since that show is gone. Yes. Uh, and it was also, that's a show that I only watched maybe two seasons of and then fell off for reasons unknown. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's one of those shows, and this happens with a lot of them, where like... The first and second seasons are really, really good. And the rest of the show is also fine, but you have to be like into the show to want to watch it. And I think like there was there was a news article just today where like Yahoo picked up community for a sixth season or uh, something. What? And, like I love the first two seasons of that show as much as anybody, but like I think it's I think it's allowed to be done. I think, I think okay. <laughs> 
So like I I don't think like season three is pretty good, but I I don't think that you like your life would be drastically bettered by sitting through seasons four to seven of Thirty Rock. That's fair. Um, I mean, there's some good jokes in there, but well, yeah, not like life changing jokes. (laughs) No, and and I'll jump I'll jump right to that uh part of the book. Why not? Um, it's about halfway to two thirds of the way through the book. She starts talking about Thirty Rock. And which is like why everybody I think bought the book in yeah. the first place. Not you know, you know what I mean. <laughs> you know yeah, exactly. I mean she arguably, buries it in just far enough that like people haven't gotten frustrated and quit, but they've also like read most of the book already. Yeah. Uh, it's why they it's why they came. They came because, oh, she's funny and she's a writer and I, I like her from T V. Uh so I'm gonna read her book and after the part where she tells me things I didn't know about her, I wanna get to the part where I think I know about her already and she's going to tell me new stuff um so the first half of the 30 rock chapter i found pretty interesting in the kind of getting the gang together pitching a show to nbc and their attempts to create to create a show that was as going to be as successful as home improvement or friends or kind of that monoculture sitcom and just that totally not happening at all (laughs) Yeah, because, I mean, the show started in, what, like 2007 or something? Yeah. So it would have been in development in, like, 2006, maybe 2005. And, like, the water cooler sitcom, like, the Seinfeld or the Friends was still, like, a pretty recent memory. But it was also a thing that would never really happen again. Like, well, you've got, like, Big Bang Theory and, like, How I Met Your Mother and whatever, but... I don't think that they have reached the same level of like ubiquity. No, I, I that think those 90s shows did. No, but the the most popular television sitcoms anyway have been those CBS sitcoms. You know, the How I Met Your Mother's, the Two and a Half Men, the uh, the dumb ones, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> You're gonna get a lot of email about How I Met Your Mother, just so you know. All right. Um, I'm not. I'm not saying nothing. I'm just letting you How know. I'd Dissed your mother. <laughs> That's your autobiography. Um, <laughs> I dissed your mother. My autobiography is called I Don't Like It. The Andrew Cunningham story. <laughs> uh, so what, what she goes on to do is kind of explain how the show's initial popularity and, and much of the success she credits to you know folks like Alec Baldwin and the, and the performers she was able to hire. Uh, she... She thought of the idea of the, like the central triangle of the sh- of the show were three viewpoints. Uh, Alec Baldwin kind of providing a character that is staunchly Republican and uh, espouses all sorts of opinions that are the ex- exact opposite of Alec Baldwin in the real world. <laughs> okay. uh, herself as a uh, you know career driven liberal woman, and then uh, Tracy Morgan as an eccentric uh black actor and she's like you can put those three those three people will have different viewpoints on everything so you wind that up and then let it go yeah that's Um, pretty much the show yeah there are other things in there but (laughs) well and she said they kind of learned their lesson later on in that they were all they started off trying to tell too many stories at the same time and they tried to change their focus a little bit uh and midway through that chapter it kind of goes into this list of the people she hired and and her writers and i i understand why she does it it's kind of a as someone 
who came through the SNL writers room. She's giving props to the to the people who've been in her position, right? Mm-hmm. But it kind of just reads as if you don't know the show categorically, it's far less interesting because uh, okay. she just takes yeah, time funny. to go like, and here's this person, and they're best. They're like this, and she makes a couple jokes about them, and then says their best joke from Thirty Rock. And, it just and so, goes, if you've only seen like two seasons of it, then yeah, yeah. And it was like interesting, and I I appreciated it more from an abstract perspective than actually sitting and listening to her say it. Sure. Um, and you know, I don't. Yeah, whatever. That was that was my reaction. I don't even I guess qualify it, 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 it more than that. As I recall, it reads a little bit like an acknowledgments section that was just dropped in the middle of this funny book. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that, that that sounds about right. And when you're listening to it, it feels awkward, you know. Um, sure. And there are a couple other moments tone-wise throughout the book that because it's half memoir, half like almost essay, comedy essay collection, uh, it oscillates between this voice that is very autobiographical uh and sometimes more david sedaris in terms of its autobiography where it's pretty flippant about what is real and what isn't uh, and not trying to hide that flippancy in a certain manner but then kind of these how-to sections that are there's like a whole chapter about uh getting your photo taken you know going to a photo shoot as someone who doesn't normally do that and while it definitely has some interesting things to say about how photo shoots work, the the tone is one of the comedic, satirical how-to essay, which you, you know, like lampooning a Cosmo article or something like that, mm-hmm. um, which kind of, to me, stood in stark contrast to what I found to be the far more interesting chapters that were about her life. Like, I came away from the whole experience wishing it had been more chapters about aspects like just literal stories of her life does that make sense yeah yeah Um, and maybe that's just a taste thing i don't know maybe you can't have a book that holds up that long like that i don't know yeah just like it's it's interesting because it seems like a lot of people would have bought this book to get the like here's what it was like to be on snl here's like here's what it's like to be 30 rock blah 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 and it sounds like those were the parts of the book that you generally came away like the least satisfied with a little bit i think the the snl stuff is interesting but even that is kind of listed as a bunch of tips and tool like tools and tricks she learned from lauren michaels or or working on snl um which is interesting but i i think there are could have been other ways to do that there's also a chapter that's all responses to like internet comments which functionally feels weird in the middle of the book yeah i mean i do you remember that yeah i mean i do remember that and i will say that were i given the opportunity to respond to internet comments in a medium where they could not like write back to me (laughs) (laughs) i think i would i think i would take it that's fair i mean i guess okay so that's a good counter argument to my like that was ah uh, that's the thing that's a trope i'm used to it's like celebrities responding to internet comments at this point right like yeah. you've got your sad celebrity twitter videos and you've got all sorts of stuff like that or you've got people 
having their paparazzi photos taken with messages in them to hide their face. Spider-Man's doing that right now. Have you seen those? Spider-Man. No. Whatever. It's fine. I haven't. (laughs) Um, I haven't paid attention to this nude Spider-Man thing that's supposed to make me forget the old Spider-Man thing. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. Let's leave that be. You talked a little bit earlier about there were some sections that were kind of autobiographical and there are some sections that were written as sort of humorous essays with elements of autobiography in them like was there anything the format of the book did that you thought was interesting or was there i don't know so uh, reading an autobiography right you're either interested in how that person is different from you in a number of ways or whether or not they're the same right i guess i don't know i think that um Faye was born and raised outside of Philadelphia, where I'm from, um, while at the same time and living a fairly suburban life, she kind of still grew up in a neighborhood that identified as a specific ethnicity, um, which is not something that is very foreign to me. I don't know that if that it's was... It's not something that's very foreign to you? Oh, or excuse me. It is something. It is not something that is part of my experience. I don't, I okay. don't know if you have that experience at all. Um, living in... Oh, when I was a kid, we, like, till I was about 10, my dad was in the Air Force. So we grew up kind of on military bases. But I don't even think, like, at the time it really occurred to me that, I I don't even know if we were on base a lot of the time. Like, in, like the, the place I have the most memories from is South Dakota. And I think we were just living in a neighborhood. And there were a lot of military people there, but not everybody was military. So I don't... Yeah, so, <laughs> so like, so kind of military, and then we moved to Ohio, which like identifies as nothing because it's just a bunch <laughs> of white people mixed together, <laughs> or at least rural Ohio is like that. Yeah, like everybody, like we, there was like this one Jewish kid who went to our school, and like it was, oh, so what's that like? <laughs> <laughs> I think there was there were Jewish kids that I went to school with and I went to a handful of bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs, but I could tell you that it was just a handful. Like I definitely didn't lose track of how many there were. Right. Um, that was just the area I was in. I was in the Northwestern suburbs of Philly that were not particularly affluent, but not particularly impoverished in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, where I, it phase in this interesting part of West Philadelphia where she's kind of just over the line. This happens in West Philadelphia where it gets real bad. <laughs> and then <laughs> there's a nice big commercial drag and you're in a decent neighborhood again. I, I think she was uh, in that decent part of the, of the neighborhood. Um, I'm really, su- I'm really surprised by, I mean, Jersey city is like that too, where you can like cross a street. Oh man. Or a couple or a couple of streets and you'll be able to tell like, that the neighborhood is like better kept up and more affluent. And man, that's let's just talk about the concept of like good and bad neighborhood. <laughs> that's totally fine. That's what I want to talk about. Let's do it. That's like, that's a messed up concept. Like a lot of time you just mean like rich or poor or like white or black. Like, no, I don't know. It's, yeah. It's coded, right? It's unfortunately coded. Um, yeah. And so people like there was, there was this thing, maybe a year, maybe two years ago with this, this website that I, I don't remember if it was trying to help you like move or just visit, you know, the quote unquote good neighborhoods. And so it would like take 
this user generated data about like what neighborhoods of what individual like American towns and cities were good and bad. Mm-hmm. And people kind of flipped out about it because it's just like, okay, here's a way for white people to like safely visit all the safe white places in all these towns and remain like safely ensconced in their privilege. <laughs> well, and then the, the issue with gentrification, right, is it's yeah. pitched as like you're improving the area where are you improving it or are you just making it less like the people who live there? Like, are you yeah, just boxing people like, out? There's nothing like you can't, if you move to a city, you can't not take place in that process. Oh, you have to. You are you, you just by moving you, there. You can't like if you and I as like middle classish whitish dudes. <laughs> whitish? Not, not whitish, like pretty white. We are the whitest white. dudes, Andrew. The- <laughs> Listen to us right now. We had to figure out a way to talk about this book that made sense to us. And I I admit that talking about this book is not easy because it is a collection of stories. We had to find a way and it involved talking about how dang white we are. Yeah, I mean, you just you you grab whatever branch you float by, I guess. <laughs> okay, um, yeah, we are white-ish dudes, and we take part in this process. Yeah, like if we move into a neighborhood, like we we did this in in Jersey City, is like there there is what is considered to be a quote unquote nice part of town, mm-hmm. and Susanna didn't have a job yet, and it would have been like right at the edge of what was sustainable for us to move into that neighborhood. And so we moved into uh, like still reasonably safe. Like I went running at like 1 a.m. last night and felt pretty mostly fine about it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, But like we are kind of the only people who are like us in this area. Yeah, that's fair. You know, you can't just like move innocently into that area. Like there you know, if we are like that, then it means that there are other people who are like that who want to live in the quote unquote safe neighborhood and have to pick something that's kind of a compromise. And then in, you know, enough people do that. And then the neighborhood we're in becomes a quote unquote safe neighborhood and we displace more people. And (laughs) yeah, it's weird to live in that kind of liminal zone. That's where, that's where we are right now where it's, it's yeah, not you bad. Guys are in the same kind of neighborhood. It's just we're not far from the stuff you might consider bad, right? Mm-hmm. And that's an interesting place to be because there's property here that's pretty pretty pricey, but that's only because it's recently built. Um, it's not necessarily because of where it is. Um, and the reason it's been recently built is because it's where it is and it was cheap before. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that sense of that sense of privilege and checking that privilege was constantly my experience reading this book. How about that? Um, sure. One of the, the one of the other big themes that she talks about in her chapter on uh, attending a, a summer theater program, which is actually the Upper Darby Summer Stage, which is not far from where I am right now, and I know I know a couple people who went there. Um, she talks about that as like a safe haven for young uh, gay people in high school to go and, and spend a summer doing theater and stuff like that. And she wrestles with her own uh, ability to tolerate and embrace gay people. And not that she wasn't uh, t- 
tolerant or or happy to be friends with them but she describes a story where a an older gentleman that she was working for kind of started flirting with uh another uh male guy who worked backstage and she didn't like it and she thought it was icky and she realized that she thought it was icky and it wasn't because she had a crush on the guy and she had to kind of check herself as like yes i like these people but in the abstract not in the like or at least did didn't like those people in reality. Does that make sense? That kind of yeah. Like, no, I mean there there are those times where you you think of yourself as a certain way, but then you're confronted with something that makes you realize that maybe you're not as much that way as you thought you were. <laughs> and that's that's definitely a, a theme of this book. Um, and I I don't know. It made me think a lot. Like growing up not far from where that program took place, like. I think there were, we may or may not have talked about this on the show before, like, I think there were gay people in my school, but I don't necessarily know that any of them ever came out. Um, I think they were kind of what she calls the half closet, where everyone kind of just knows that it's that that's who it is, but they don't say anything, um, sure. and they don't do anything publicly. But I also can't tell you what and when I developed that kind of tolerance and empathy for people of that lifestyle does that make sense yeah like, yeah i mean i'm i'm with you because i there was a kind of a gradual movement for me too i guess and we, we've talked just because you know where i was from everybody was white and everybody was straight and everybody like conformed to this thing even though now i know it's totally not true like i regularly run into people on facebook who i went to high school with and it's like oh you're a lesbian now okay cool that's great yeah Good for you I'm really glad that you could like find that out about yourself and like be comfortable with it because we definitely grew up in environment in an environment where you would have been made fun of for that in school. Yeah, and or possibly worse, right? And yeah. it's it's interesting to note that I can't remember and maybe that's a good thing, I guess. Like maybe I I can't remember when I was like, yeah, that seems great. Go for it. Like I don't know if that's there's so many people who feel strongly in the opposite direction for a variety of reasons that I, I just don't know what it is to go the other way. Like, I don't know. I don't know that there's not a thing in my mind that sticks out. It's like, yeah, that that's the moment where I was like, cool beans, everybody do your thing. You do you, <laughs> which is weird. Um, yeah. The other thing I want, Oh, here's something we can talk about. Andrew, you, okay. you had a not great job in college. I did have a not great job in college. Well, you were not while you were at college, but in the summers. No, I know in the summers in between. I, I know what you're talking. About. I kind of want to. Well, I want. I want to talk about it in just a second, but I'll I'll introduce the chapter of the book that discusses this, which I think bears out in the later chapters where she's talking about her writing career. Uh, she worked at a at a YMCA in Evanston, Illinois. Yes, right, right. Where she dealt with not only the people who would come in and use the gym. But many of the people who stayed there who were kind of disenfranchised young men for a variety of reasons. They had mental problems. They had health problems, uh, including this guy. I think his name is Gregory, who had like he got in a bike accident and lost everything in his life. And every he she met him every day for like six months because he never remembered that he met her. And his whole life story was summed up in 30 seconds that culminated in telling you to wear a bike helmet or. <laughs> which is like sweet and funny and sad all all at once the yeah. way she kind of encapsulates it uh 
and she just has a, a litany of bizarre people that exist at that job. And she has a really keen sense of being a cog in the wheel, but feeling above the people she's serving um, and feeling like the people above her are not aware at all of what is going on on, you know, at ground level, uh, for lack of a better word. And I just kind of want to pick your brain about soul sucking jobs. <laughs> for lack yeah, of a better word i do the job i worked at i was um i was a third shift janitor at a tortilla chip company oh they made tortilla chips and cracker jacks and sometimes cheese puffs and sometimes those tgi fridays like mozzarella stick cheese puffs you know the ones it's only sort of <laughs> They're just, they're like Cheetos, but they're covered in brown, and they're supposed to look like mozzarella sticks. Ew. Yeah. Ew. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> how did you, how did you get that job? How did that even happen? Well, I mean, I went, I went home every summer, well, for the first, I guess the first three summers, Um, and that was just like in marion ohio like that's that's one of the better paying jobs and like the first year of college i like my parents didn't send me any money i didn't have an on-campus job like i was living off of fumes for the entire year like yeah and, and i wanted to make a bunch of money in the summer and just save it all and then come back and not work during the school year which was dumb i totally should have been working <laughs> during the school year the whole time um lessons we learn yeah right so yeah it was just the best paying job and you get a lot of overtime and it sucked but you did it for eight weeks or or like 89 days or however like whatever the cutoff is before they'd have to unionize you like that's as long as they would let (laughs) summer workers stay there yeah that was the cap oh no was before they had to put you in the union they would kick you out (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so that you were at the bottom of the totem pole like, the, yeah 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 like the uh, they always bring in some kids and the kids always have to do all the worst stuff Ugh. not that not that anybody on that crew like had a great time of it but were there any lifers yeah oh yeah there were a lot of lifers like there were there were people who were there and they were gonna do their 30 years or whatever and they were gonna retire which is you know for 2006 2007 like they might be one of the last generations to like expect that lifestyle, I guess. Yeah. 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 Or just be but, um, like, that's me. I'm going to do me. I'm going to work these chips for 30 years. Let's do it. But yeah, but you get like, yeah, you get these, these characters and all you remember about them after a few years is that they would wander around and they'd say, Oh, well to everything. <laughs> and like you'd boil them down to some like, tweak that they had yeah oh totally you would you you would be like okay i'm i'm in college this isn't gonna be this isn't gonna be what i'm gonna do and you're being really awful and terrible about it internally but you're also like right (laughs) not i mean just like you're you're on a different path than these people like you your privilege has put you on another road i guess and so you're just like this crappy stupid 20 year old like kind of being a tourist in these people's lives and feeling all high and mighty about it and like 
yeah, probably you're not going to come back here, but it doesn't mean that you're like better than anybody. It just means that you're luckier than than other people. And that's something. the that's the thing know. that we have hindsight for, right? Like I remember working in high school in a music store with a bunch of people in failed bands. I was in marching band in high school faking my way through selling $2000 saxophones. Now, when you say that you worked at a music store, do you mean when you worked at the ice cream store where you had to sing when people tipped you? <laughs> no. <laughs> that was different. Okay. I just think it would be funny if you called that a music store. <laughs> Come to my music store and get some free ice cream. <laughs> if you eat some ice cream, you, you can pay for me to sing you a song. Terrible. Free ice cream, free one scoop cone with Reed. <laughs> Terrible. So I worked at this music store where all the guys selling guitars and selling like pro, pro DJ equipment had already tried to do that for 15 years and were never going to get a record deal. Or they signed on to a failing ska band and then did a bunch of drugs in somewhere in Asia and now exist in a Philadelphia suburb selling cheap trumpets like mm -hmm. and again i'm boiling this down without a sense of where these people came from and, and why they live the lives that they lead uh i just remember being in the break room and one guy very passionately summing up david mammoth's uh glengarry glenn ross and how this is just a cutthroat world about sales and you just gotta get yours and i was like oh i'm 16 <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna <laughs> go to wendy's and get a hamburger with nothing on it because I don't have a developed palate yet. Bye. Like, oh, yeah, that's a sucky age to have to eat food, isn't it? <laughs> it's pretty bad. I can eat mac and cheese and do the do, and that is all I can do. <laughs> and I can eat all of it because my, metabol my metabolism is doing just fine. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I think that type of that type of self-retrospective and tourism in other people's lives is is something that runs throughout the book you know she to your point about the lifers versus the young tourist in that industry is tied to uh Faye's point about kind of women being in competition with one another she she points out this woman whose job she crossed over that woman for a promotion when that woman would have gladly taken that promotion and worked that job for the rest of her life and yeah. Faye was like, I'm going to get this promotion so I can pay for more improv classes. <laughs> like, yeah. that's that's my career. Uh, and because she was perhaps a little more dynamic or just a little more pushy in the interview or whoever, you know, who knows what happened. Um, she got that job. And that's just a very different thing. And that you only you only recognize that you were perhaps impacting someone else's life in, in retrospect. Yeah, and I mean, when you when you have these own experiences yourself and when you read about other people having them, I guess the best you can hope to take away from it is that, like, everybody's a person and you shouldn't be a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the lesson. Yeah, that's, okay, there you go. Everybody's a person. who aren't you. Everybody's a person, so don't be a jerk is a pretty yeah. good subtitle for this book. How about? <laughs> sure. Uh, like... To her point about the Sarah Palin story, which was a whole, it's a, it's a really interesting chapter because it, it touches on everything from w television workflow to 
the way that she got cast, which was largely just people saying she looked like her on the internet, and then Lauren Michaels kind of saying, "Well, we can't cast, we can't not cast you, I guess." Mm-hmm. Uh, and then her being really worried that when they finally decided to bring Palin into Saturday Night Live in front of a New York audience, that they would boo her or that SNL would come off as mean or, you know, walking that fine line between hurting someone personally and critiquing their right their career because yeah. it was just as that onion was being peeled <laughs> <laughs> like i don't like if you invited her onto a new york stage now like yeah the the booing would be deafening but at that point like She'd only been on the national stage for like a few weeks. Yeah, like maybe. five weeks, maybe. And she'd started pretty strong. Like her convention speech was was pretty well received, as I recall, and it just kind of fell apart from there. So yeah, I mean, I guess you you would have really had no idea how the audience was going to handle it. And it was just interesting to to hear about the process of being very adamant that you are going to critique this woman if if she messes up, but also not wanting to take it too far right and that's mm-hmm. um i think that's something important to tina fey throughout this book right she has two chapters that are like it's uh the joys of being uh remembrances of being very very skinny and then the next chapter is remembrances of being a little bit fat and both <laughs> of them they're parallel chapters that are written exactly the same way just with different it's almost like mad libs and the last sentence in each is kind of just like let's just be, let people be people they're gonna be bo- they're gonna be this for a little while, and then they're gonna be this for a little while, and as long as they're not hurting you, like let them go. Yeah. Um. So, and to to that point, it is an interesting dovetail with the idea of reading someone's memoir to see how similar they are to you versus how different. Um, because I think geographically, and she. I resonate with her experience, but obviously, like I said earlier, there are very different specifics. Um, I work in the arts, but on nowhere near the scale of her commercial success. So, like, I'm interested in some of the same stuff, but she's doing something completely different, you know. Um, so that's that's kind of what kept me going through the book, I think. And then I guess the last thing we can talk about is chapter 25 of the book, which is what you said earlier, what should I do with my last five minutes? She talks about last five minutes of fame. Do I pursue the rest of my career or do I have a second child? And I think we were talking earlier about how for women that can be presented as a no win scenario. Um, I don't know. She did have a second child, right? I believe she did. I'm pretty sure that she did. Um, But um, she's also, I know she's also developing another show for NBC right now. Like she's not going to star on it, but she's, um, she and I think the other executive producer from 30 Rock have like gotten back together and are doing something else. So, you know, clearly she's going to continue balancing that because that's what and that's what she needs to do because that's that's her, I guess. Yeah. She takes umbrage earlier in the book at, at the question, how do you juggle it all? Which just seems she just takes she gets so upset about that kind of patronizing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um but that is a thing that everybody does. Like that's just the human condition. Is like, do I 
do this thing that is perhaps biologically driven or is it actually intellectually driven? I'm, I'm talking about kids. Or do I... <laughs> <laughs> I'm biologically driven to be a comedian. Have biologically to. driven to eat a hamburger. <laughs> I am biologically driven to write about smartwatches. But do you give of that up or or do you have to give it up to to have more kids i don't know i'm in an interesting spot i know that i i think i want to have kids in my life uh but there's all sorts of career stuff that could and and hopefully should happen to me <laughs> is, yeah. is it you know is it higher education is it not is it other career opportunities or is it just kind of expanding the ones that are in front of me but any sort of family would kind of I, it it's weird to say to think it would mess it up because maybe it wouldn't, but you don't know. I think there's a there's a point in your arc at which it would mess it up for everyone. You I haven't think, right. You haven't reached like like you and I think I am maybe still too like in that part of your career arc where you gotta be devoting a lot of time to like building up and climbing up and like getting to a good place. And then once you're at that good place, it's easier to. You know, still, you know, still put a lot of yourself into your work, but like back off on the intensity a little bit and just like, okay, I'm here. It's going to be way less effort to just hang out here where I am and do good work than it is to be somewhere down below where I am and trying to climb up. Yeah, that's true. So like, you know, not, not all babies are created equal, I guess. <laughs> I, I, don't know if that's a, I don't know if that's an out of context <laughs> sentence I want floating around. <laughs> out there <laughs> that's not a good one andrew that's sorry it's okay uh babies are great she sums everybody every, all the babies out there hey hey babies hey babies you're doing all right hope you have some good career goals um she sums it up pretty well with with uh this quote i can't possibly take time off for a second baby unless i do in which case that's nobody's business and i'll never regret it for a moment unless it ruins my life <laughs> Seems about right. Uh, and without just running down a laundry list of, of sentences and jokes that I found funny, that's a pretty good example of the humor of the book, of like a punchline that's a punchline, but not uh, overtly so. You know, like she just kind of guides you into what sounds like a normal sentence and then spins it around by the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, rather than, but then again, she just makes a bunch of poop and fart jokes sometimes. So I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, humor is a spectrum, <laughs> I guess. She spends like 10 minutes talking about male comedians peeing in jars. So, you know, like whatever you need to do to get a laugh, I guess. Uh-huh. 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 <laughs> uh, so, yeah, celebrities, they're just like you until they're not. The Tina Fey they're story. just like you except with money and a platform and... But they were once just like you. They were once just like you. And they are sometimes still. The end. The end. So, <laughs> if you're just like us, you should tell us about it via email, I guess, at overduepod at gmail.com. Um, we've also got Twitter and Facebook pages up at twitter.com slash overduepod and facebook.com slash overduepod. And we do get lots of nice messages through all those things. Like, uh, did I, you, did I, I got them. You're trying to toss it to me. I got them. Don't worry. All right. What'd you, yeah. uh, Lee... Gave us a shout out on Twitter about the marriage plot episode, which uh, I appreciate because I was a little nervous after that episode. I feel like we got into some some territory that we were not necessarily qualified to talk about. 
Yeah, well. Um, not unlike this episode. Uh, hey, Renee gave us a great iTunes review, so we thank her for that. Uh, Nina, our friend from Spain, checked in. We're glad to hear that she's doing well uh, and that she's still listening to us. Uh, we got a real nice email from uh, Lynn, who said that she started listening to back episodes and uh, says that she uh, is telling her friends about it and wants to put in her two cents. I'm kind of summarizing a little bit. Uh, she is going to be my mother in law. Yeah, so I guess that's worth disclosing. I was going to let in you like disclose four, that. four months, like full disclosure. <laughs> Uh, my fiance had her mom listen to our show in the car when they were like driving off to Canada or something. Well, and... I guess it's good that that she said that all the episodes she's listened to have been your books. So yeah. that's nice of her. Yeah. I appreciate yeah. that on your behalf. Uh, <laughs> and Jillian, my sister, I'll drop a family reference. How about that? Yeah, lots of nepotism. Um, she, cor- I guess, I don't know if it was an outright correction or if she just... Uh, clarified something we were talking about on the uh the last one the last episode one she was talking about uh conan doyle being a spiritualist uh and his wife was a medium and houdini was a debunker of fake mediums uh so they were no longer friends after that (laughs) i don't like your wife she talks to ghosts get out sir (laughs) is what houdini said man i hate that i hate having that talk oh man (laughs) Okay. Um, we also have a website up at overduepodcast.com. Um, up there we have links to um, our RSS and iTunes pages, which you can use to subscribe to the show. And yeah, we have gotten a couple new ratings and one new review since the last time we, uh, since the last time we recorded, I think. So thank you very much, everybody who's been doing that. And uh, we also have Amazon links to the books that we have read that we are going to read up there on the webpage. You can click those and buy them or just buy like crayons or lipstick or whatever. And we get a cut of that money to defray our hosting costs and, and all that, all that good stuff. Um, and also, yeah, people just keep sending us book recommendations, which is great. I'm working through one that someone sent us now that we were supposed to read for this week. And then I, I fell down on it. So it's okay. Sorry, everyone. Which book is that? But, um, it's it's Mr. Penumbra's 24-Hour Bookstore by Robin Sloan, which I think I mentioned last week. Uh, we're going to do it for real next time. So, Do you think people in Nebraska have heard about that book, Andrew? Man, people in Nebraska haven't heard of anything cool. So here's... Obviously. Okay, Nebraska's still letting us down, but there's, some couple, there's a couple states that could pick up some slack. Wyoming, South Dakota, and Alaska. It's, it is now your duty to get on the train, the overdue train, uh, before Nebraska mm-hmm. does. Or, if you live in North Dakota, hop on a train and go to South Dakota and download an episode of the show. I don't know if they have trains. Like, get get on a horse and ride down. Get in a rickshaw and head to Wyoming. Uh, big sky country. You'll love it. But don't go to Nebraska. Someone from Nebraska, please listen to the show so I can stop disliking Didn't you. Didn't someone from Nebraska, like yell at us for not liking nebraska or were they just from nebraska and not actually living in Nebraska? terry lives in philly i know him. Oh, okay he was trying to defend nebraska but nebraska has yet to stand up for itself no yeah let nebraska fight nebraska's battles come on has nebraska ever seen any battles no it's too boring <laughs> all right uh nebraska you're still on notice and uh we will be back next week with another episode until then everybody try to be happy
Overdue Nights. Overdue. Welcome to Overdue Nights. This is a podcast about the books you read in bed. At night. At night. <laughs> while your partner's asleep because you're up late reading a book. Ooh. Ooh. You bad boy, you. You bet. Put that book down, bad boy. You need to get at least seven hours of sleep a night. What are you doing? Why are you reading that mystery novel? You're going to have raccoon eyes in the morning (laughs) everybody's gonna be able to tell they're gonna ask what were you reading and you're gonna be like (laughs) you're gonna be like dean Koontz, and they're gonna say ew who's he (laughs) (laughs) i think they know who dean Koontz is read at least two Dean Koontz books I and enjoyed them. More about them judging you for staying up, like giving up your sweet, sweet hours of sleep to read Dean Koontz books. <laughs> I don't want to put him on too much blast. He's not a terrible writer. I don't know. Hey, I've listen, read him recently. Listen, Dean, Dean, can I call you Dean? Dean, if you're out there, like send us an email and we can talk. But until then, I'll, I, I'm fine with bad mouthing Dean Koontz. <laughs>